Welcome to the panel RNZ National. Lovely to be with this afternoon, Wallace Chapman. Today marks a pivotal anniversary in the history of Aotearoa. On this day, 50 years ago, Te Pitehana Reo Māori, the Māori language petition, was presented to Parliament. And for many, the petition is seen as a catalyst for the Māori Renaissance and a national commemoration was held at Parliament around noon today. Well, Māori language consultant, Tautike Limited, Hami Kelly, uh, runs... Uh, uh, is a consultant and runs an awesome Instagram page that I follow called Everyday Māori and his work was also recognised at the annual Matariki Awards. Uh ana koe hemi, how are things? Kia ora Wallace, e pai ana hau. A koe, Good to have you on. First up, uh, Hemi, what was your journey in Reo Māori? My journey into Reo Māori, uh, it's been a long one. Um, <laughs> I didn't grow up speaking to Reo, I'm a second language learner. Um... Yeah, grew up grew up knowing who we who we are as Māori mum mum and still dad in us, but she didn't have the deal. So I learned through through the education system mainly um, through at high school. I really started to get into it and uh, had a great teacher there. And then after high school, I, I continued on learning and did did a few different courses. And then you know by that time you've got a lot of friends and uh, people around you who are speakers. So uh, learnt learnt through those social interactions as well. In terms of this pretty historic day, um, you know, looking back to, what is it, 1972, was it? Uh, mm. the, the, the issues and challenges, hear me, between then and now, quite extraordinary some of the uh, issues that they would have faced just trying to get to the Māori more into prevalence than it was. Absolutely. I mean, I've... Worked with people who were there. I was working with Robert Pofari at AUT the last couple of years, who was who was a part of Te Reo Māori Society and Ngā Tamatoa, who were there, you know, at the train station every morning in Wellington, asking people to sign this petition in 1971 and 72. And he he shared with me some stories about the the abuse that they, you know, the verbal abuse and the physical abuse from some people who. Were, you know, absolutely against this, and then also he shared the, the support as well that they received as well. And going around and collecting those signatures, all thirty-three, um, thousand, thirty-three thousand hand signatures. Imagine how hard that must have been. Um, so I think the challenges that they had to face then, they really fought, fought um, a fight that yeah. my generation haven't had to fight. Um, and so right. you know, we owe a lot to those people who, who paved the way for for, for change, and and for the things that we have today. And in a way, I guess, Hammy, you've built on that decades-long legacy, moving into, you know, um, giving other people a chance to learn today with things like uh, everyday Maori. Yeah, that all started in the lockdown because you know we were all. Um, at home and, and normally teaching was at, in, in the class but I needed to create some sort of way where my students could continue to access te reo and so social media it was and I started putting videos out and learning content out on Facebook and Instagram which grew and grew and grew and, and you know that's a sign that our reo is um, desired and wanted and there's a lot of people out there who are wanting to learn and um, may not have the, the resources at hand or the support systems around them they may not be able to go and join a class, but they are able to jump on their phone and scroll through Instagram like you, Wallace. And, and you know, that's one way that, that people can start learning to deal and, um, and then start passing it on to others as yeah. well. I think it's others. fantastic. 
I, you know, check it every day and mm. uh, there's a recent post and there are things <laughs> you can learn daily. Uh, let's bring our panellists in, Verity. Oh, kia ora, Hemi. Um, thank you for um, also starting my Instagram page because it definitely, it definitely taught me a lot through lockdown. Yeah. Um, and I was just wondering, you talked about the backlash and how, um, you know, 50 years ago there were a great deal of um, challenges to bringing this into it. I'm wondering, how has the backlash changed? Because I still hear a lot of really just awful, awful backlash, like, you know, when Whitaker's um, brought out the chocolate in today for September. And I'm just wondering, how has the shape of the argument changed? Because I hear a lot um, the it's got better, but I want to know from your perspective, how was it? Yeah, how has it developed? Yeah, I, I think what I notice, every time we kind of have a real Māori moment, which is what I'm going to call it, where we see te reo enter a space, enter a, yeah, a space we haven't seen te reo before. You know, it's mm. something that's new or unusual. Like a chocolate bar, for example. We hadn't really seen te reo Māori mm. on a product like that before. And so there it appears, and we have this new reo Māori moment, which is amazing, because te reo's making strides and entering all these new spaces. And every time that happens, there's like a few different responses. You get the people who are completely supportive of it, excited and proud. Mm. Then you get the people who are a little bit uncertain of the intent. Oh, this is tokenism. Oh, this is just a marketing campaign. Mm. Uh, why didn't they do this sooner? Why don't they do it all the time? Those sort of um, comments. And then you do get that response from a, from a, a, a few people who uh, think the world's going to end. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I think that that voice is getting smaller and smaller. Every time we do have those real moments, that voice still rears its head, but it's getting smaller and smaller, and it's getting drowned out by the majority who are saying, this is a great, this is amazing. Sam? Yeah, kia ora, Hemi. I'm, I'm, I'm again a, a fan of your Instagram page and some of the work that you're doing. And I'm interested in your comment, I guess, around how you bring people on the journey who... who um, are perhaps older and who didn't grow up in a world where um, the real Māori was taught at all nor encouraged um, and are probably not ever going to actively learn real Māori. Um, and I guess the difference between um, teaching Māori ways versus Māori words, because I think the, that what we've got to do in New Zealand is actually teach Māori ways just as much as we teach words. And I know words are the ways is, is how you teach the ways. Um, but for the group of people who, who are not going to learn a language, how do we progress together and not create division in the country? Kia ora. Yeah, I think you're right there. And I mean, and, and, understanding aspects of the culture, like some key cultural concepts that we, and when you talk about ways, ways, uh, practices and things like that, manaki tanga, mana, uh, tanga, these sorts of things, these words that we know, I think it's important to understand what those concepts mean and also understand why they're important. People may not go on and continue to learn how to speak the language completely but I think they should be open to hearing the language being spoken and used freely around them and also be open to learning a little bit more, whether they plan on learning to, yes. to learn the language formally. And, and through learning those words, you know, what, quite often I see people come in, I just want to learn a little bit, I just want to understand the culture a little bit right. better. They start learning and then it kind of ignites this connection to the language that they may not have known they had. And just by like living here in Aotearoa, everyone has a connection to Te Reo. It's in our place names, it's in our flora, it's in our fauna. And so, you know, this 
let's just say middle-aged Pākehā woman who comes into my class, grew up in Christchurch, and always crossed the Waimakariri River and going to work each day, now understands, oh, why is water in Makariri is cold? Those are some of the things yeah. we really on. And, ah, oh, that, that makes sense, you know, and you see this mm. connection ignited in people, and, and that often sparks them this, like, desire to learn more. So, like, if anyone is out there on the periphery looking in and going, hmm, I'm not sure if this is for me, I'd say just jump in and give it a go, and it hopefully ignites this connection and you want to learn more. And I guess, uh, hear me, that's what I quite like about, uh, you can you can tell because it's got a bit of traction here, the three of us <laughs> um, uh, uh, see it. But what I do like about Everyday Māori is, is it does embody that notion of uh, giving it a go, no matter what level, uh, no matter you might be a little bit, I don't know, fuck a ma about, um, uh, about learning. And even indeed um, having a bit of fun uh, learning as well. Is, is that part, part of it as well? Has to be. It has to be part of it. Yeah. It has to be. You've got to have fun when you're learning. And you've also uh, got to be open to making mistakes. You know, that's how we learn. We make mistakes and we we learn through our mistakes. Uh, got to be open to being corrected. You know, it, it, you're learning a language. You're learning yeah. how to, to, to converse and, and with, with new words and they're new sounds for a lot of people. And so you've got to be open to all of that and just have fun along the way. So hopefully I think most kayak or most teachers out there, we... We strive to bring that into the learning environment, a little bit of fun, games here and there. Yes. Yeah. Well, well if that's an, uh, an important point, and, and hear me, I'm, I'm pleased you said it, just around people trying even to make a mistake, because I think um, there's a nervousness around someone. I used to have it until a Komato said to me, no, just keep trying anyway and practice, even if you may, even if you... You, you pronounce the words wrongly, but I think people, it, it's easy to get caught up in, I, I don't know how to say it properly, so I won't say it, instead of actually going, no, the culture is actually strong enough, it will survive, even if you make a mistake along, so so just have a go. Yeah, and you, have a go, if it's a, a big part of it, but also learn how to pronounce mm. the sounds. Yeah, so if, if you don't know, yes, yes. Seek, seek someone who's going to be able to teach you those basic things around pronunciation because that gives you the tools to then use use the language. It's lovely to have you on, Hemi. Uh, ngā mihi nua kia koe. Uh, kia ora. Thank you very much for being with us. Kia ora koutou. Kia ora. That is Hemi Kelly, a Māori language consultant. Uh, his work was recognised uh, at the annual Matariki Awards. Uh, and as uh, we've mentioned before, if you do want to check his uh, Instagram page, it's very cool. It's called Everyday Mile. <laughs> it's 18 past four. Nice to have you on the program, the panel, RNZ National. Um, other big news today, after a near six-week lockout, mill workers in Kawado have voted today to accept a revised offer from manufacturer ST. Now, ST is one of the world's largest health and hygiene companies, uh, you got the brands like Purex, Sorbent, Libra, Handy. The 145 workers were locked out on August the 9th after the company refused an offer and Union Secretary Tyler Phillips said it's been the most brutal behaviour from a company I've seen in years. They just threw everything at our members. Well, in a statement, SD said its focus is now on the long-term future of Kawaro Mill and rebuilding its relationships with the mill workers. Kawaro is the last remaining paper production and manufacturing plant in the country. It's got, oh, I think nearly 50% of the market. The rest is made from imported, imported paper. And with us is Union Secretary Tane Phillips. Kia ora, Tane. Kia ora. Uh, are you okay? So resolution, you're going back Monday, starting with the karakiri, I believe. Uh, did you see this coming? 
well, we were hope we um, we were hopeful. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons we asked for facilitation was to kind of break the uh, deadlock. So we were always hopeful, uh, and really we we thought the facilitation would go that way. It was just pure maths on the CPI, mate. Really, in the end, logic got, shone through. You got to get the numbers on either side, Otane. And so, what are they? What have we got? Five percent increase plus four k lump sum this year, four and a half percent plus three k next year, and four point five percent twenty twenty four. A fair deal. Yeah, uh, the um, second lot, the four, the four point five plus three k. The guys will get it on January the 9th, 223. Yeah. So, they, so it's only about four months away, mate. So uh, 9.5 by Jan 9, yeah, that's not bad. Okay, okay. We have, of course, a panel with us, Tana. They might want a, uh, a question or a comment there. But uh, pretty strong words from you. It's been the most brutal behaviour from a company I've seen in years, and you've been in the sector for quite a while. Do you want to explain that a bit? Mm. What, what, what made it? What made it so? And uh, the lockout isn't, it wasn't the problem. I mean, if we can strike, they can lock out. But it's what, what happened after the lockout. Uh, you know, alternative labour does happen now and again, but it's not something people go to straight away. Uh, but refusal for the hardship and uh, taking legal action against 62 of their own employers is, is quite... 1980s, 1970s uh, kind of industrial relations. Okay, so that was the issue, yeah. the fact that the workers couldn't access their own retirement savings. So you've got six weeks, the mortgage bills are coming in, the power bills are coming in, there's kind for the table to be ahead, and none of that could be paid for. Yeah, that was the right. real uh, one that really... Um, turned it for me um, that it, it, hmm. it was kind of starvation tactics um, at that time. Okay, we've got a panel Tony, of Verity. Uh, no, we'll go to Verity first and Sam. <laughs> oh, kia ora tane. Um, I, look, you just mentioned the 70s and the 80s, and I, you know, I was born in the late 90s, so for me, unions weren't really a thing growing up. I've never really... As much of a thing. As much of a thing, yeah. And, the, and there you were wasn't, in the UK. Yeah, I grew yeah. up in the UK and then moved here at 14. So for me, the consciousness of labour and organised labour in society hasn't been very high. So I guess I'm actually asking from a historical perspective, like how powerful are unions in modern day sort of like employment or employer relationships? And has that changed dramatically since the 70s and 80s? Well, kind of they have. I mean, we're quite uh, lucky. The sites that I service are 100% unionised, um, which does make a difference. Um, so, you know, uh, all the labour on that site, were, which is 145, they are all unionised and they all belong to our union. So that makes the ability to negotiate much stronger. But also for the company, it, it, it means they, they only have to deal with the union, not um, individual IEAs. So yep. there's a bit of a win-win in that situation. Sam? Yeah, uh, Tony, I'm interested with this with this factory, and given it's the last one in New Zealand, and they must have many other factories around the world and, and probably in, in countries where it is cheaper um, to have labour costs will be different, it will be ununionised in other places. Was all that a factor in the length of time that this has taken? Um, and I guess, do you see them continuing to operate the, the, the factory here for the, for the long-term future? I and mean, that's certainly what I'd hope to see. 
Well, uh, so we, we're very hopeful. Um, but, you know, uh, and we, we ended up talking to the Swedish unions uh, and a international union. Uh, inter- uh, so we had a very good discussion with them. They were very supportive. But, you know, in the end, mate, you've really got to, uh, if you're afraid that they're just going to um, up and go, then you would never ask for a pay rise. You would never ask for better conditions. So you've got yeah, to right. actually um, try and get as much as you can for your membership. But uh, I, I think uh, New Zealand has, we, we, we can uh, pulp uh, the power prices, yeah, a little bit high, but, um, you know, we, we make very good product. Uh, that's all fair enough, but just bring in to Sam's Sam's point as well. I mean, you 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 can't ignore those economic pressures from their point of view. Surely, Tana, you've had one other major plant close over the last year, another reduced jobs and pay rates in the past year or so. Two other suppliers uh, have left New Zealand because of cost pressures. These cost pressures are very real. But the two that left New Zealand actually didn't produce paper here. What they did is they bought it in and they cut it uh, and, and then dispersed it. So in some regards, they were actually bringing paper over. And it's full of water, eh? That's part of the problem. If you bring paper in, I mean, it takes up a lot of space. So um, there, no. there, are, there is cost advantage to producing here. So one of the things that we helped with was we um, helped with getting a... Um, uh, a government kind of grant uh, to look at the use of um, geothermal steam uh, on one of those paper machines. Very interesting. Hey, before you go, Tane, just as a side note, um, news happened today. You may may or may not, not know or be aware, or but nonetheless, uh, Aotearoa's most well-known trade union leader, Ken Douglas, Ken he's Douglas. yeah he's died at the age of eighty-six. Any memories of Ken? You may have uh, worked with him or otherwise. Well, I, I didn't have much to do with Ken, but uh, he was a titan in the um, industrial arena, uh, you know, and we're, and we're talking about the 80s too. Uh, he was a big man. He did a lot of work in the industrial relations field, but also was a very good community-oriented man in Potidua and in Wellington. Kia pai tērā, Tānik. Uh, thank you very much uh, for your time there. Uh, 26 past four. By the way, I'd be very interested to know if you do live in Kawaro based uh, there, um, get in touch. How do you feel about uh, this latest news that mill workers in Kawaro have voted today to accept a revised officer back to work uh, Monday morning? You can text me two one zero one. Sam Johnson and Very Johnson, no relation with me on the panel this afternoon. Now, here's one for you. You're on a flight and you're kind of hoping that the seat next to you might remain empty. But then someone comes down and sits beside you. They might be keen to talk right through the flight. They might be that person who crosses their legs. So their knee is up in your grill. Qantas is now offering a neighbor-free option that allows customers to pay to block anyone from sitting in the seat next to them. Pricing will start at 30 bucks a seat, but the airline says it'll vary. A customer who flew from Perth and Brisbane reported it cost $60 US to executive traveler around the panel on this. 
Bernie Johnson. I'm I, so here for this. I've <laughs> been waiting my whole life. Yes. Wow. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? I have had so many dudes on flights press their legs into mine for, like, hours on end, and it drives me nuts because you just can't move anywhere. <laughs> like, you can't go anywhere. So you're just sort of stuck there trying to be cool, trying to pretend like you're not bothered. And if it's anything more than an hour and a half, just I'm not here for it. So, yes, thank God. I would pay up to, like, 150 bucks. Really? It's, that's uh, impressively that's, – that's – that's unacceptable and uh, very, very inappropriate. Of course, nonetheless, some might see it as being really actually quite selfish in nature for you to decide to actually pay to have the seat next to you empty. I mean, would I, you go that? Would you go that far? Would I think it's selfish in the sense that I'm putting my needs first? Yes, it probably is selfish. Do I care? No. <laughs> That's the thing. Oh, um, Sam, would you be there, that selfish? You... What about... What would it... <laughs> Keep going. What it, I was going to say, already, what, about, what about the impact on the carbon, the extra carbon that you're taking up behind that extra seat? Um, <laughs> I, I, I would probably... That was a joke. I, mean, I would probably, sadly um, and embarrassingly, pay for it as well um, because I'm a, a, quite a tall guy and I, it is nice to have a seat next door to you. Um, though the better option would be then just making the seat slightly more comfortable so you don't have some man's leg pushing up against you, Verity, which is just, just awful. So It's um, nothing to do I, with I, the I, seat I'm design, bro. <laughs> Amazing. So, <laughs> honestly, oh, quite, so they're onto something. They're obviously, honestly, you've got two panelists here who are selfish in nature <laughs> enough to want to actually pay for a seat empty next to them. I feel like I'm, I'm, do quite, it. I'm quite. No, I'd never do it. I, I because you know what? I tell you what. I tell you what. Travelling's all about, um, Sam. It's about conversation, and it's about communication. Oh, when I first met you, we were in a taxi together, and I talked your entire <laughs> ear off the entire really? journey. I am the person on the plane who talks to people. Oh my god, <laughs> I hate people like you. Gosh, that was about ten years ago. Wasn't I can't it? wait to go to plane with you, Verity. I will be tracking <laughs> you down. I'm going to bring tranquilizers. <laughs> well, it'd be interesting to hear what and uh, to hear what our listeners think of this. But I just, I just think, um, Verity, you're missing a bit of a trick if you because you need to. Take your earpods out, don't you? Nah. And actually just have a conversation with your neighbour. I don't want to have a conversation with my neighbour. <laughs> no, like I... You're missing out on life. Nah, look, I have, I have a job where I talk to people constantly. That is my job. When I am not working, I do not wish to talk you... to anybody. It is it is. I sunglasses. have learned a lot from people on the plane. That dude, you like, learn, like you can it, learn a lot. You can actually have a conversation, and, and but there's a, there's a couple of sort of unwritten codes. One is you talk to them before takeoff, and then when the plane takes off, just don't talk to them until you land again. And then you've got three different segments. So I don't yeah, talk I have to people during the middle of the plane normally. I've met some wonderful people sitting next to me. Really great conversations from anything to I met a musician. I met a person who was high up in storage solutions. Um, Great discussion around um, best way to store stuff in your kitchen. Uh, <laughs> true story. In New Zealand, had offered paying for an empty seat for a long time. So, yeah, your thoughts. Uh, you're on the panel, uh, NZ National, Verity Johnson, Sam Johnson, with me this afternoon.